Amen. Well, uh, just want to say welcome and echo the greeting from Robin and Phil, and uh, just glad to be with you guys today. It's incredible. Um, you know, we went to the online thing for a little bit, and we couldn't gather, and it just does my heart. I don't know if the same for you. So good just to be with the people of God, singing with the people of God, and just stirs my heart in such a way. Um, a couple quick things to get to. We're in our uh, season, uh, Summer of Hope, and we're highlighting some of our ministry partners in today's adoption, and we're going to uh, interview um, someone later that's going through that journey. Um, but I want to just bring attention to it, um, to you. You got a little card on your table. It says a lot about adoption of several of the families in our church that have adopted. Um, not all of them, but several of them. And some of you are on the journey um, even now as you listen to the moving of the Holy Spirit. So um, I'm asking us to continue to pray for those families, help support those families, and then be open to what God might stir in your heart. I do not believe that God calls everyone to adopt a child into their home, but I do believe God calls everyone to be a part of it in some way. And um, as a church, we want to continue um, to help support and meet needs when it comes to that. Also, uh, the kiddos that are in here with us, you got a little packet in front of you and a place to take some notes. Uh, I think there's some word searches. You got a little sheet on adoption, I think, in there. Um, after the service, I would love to see what you created. So whether you took notes or drew a picture, colored something, find me afterwards um, and, uh, and show me what you got. Uh, if you brought your Bible with you or some device, would you open it to James chapter 4? We're going to be in James chapter 4 today. And we did kind of a weird thing. We started the book of James several months ago, and we, we preached about 10 sermons on it. And then we took a break as we kind of got into the Advent season, which led to kind of a vision series to start the year off, and then the pandemic happened. And so we're just on the other side a few months later trying to uh, finish up the book. And we're walking through the book thematically. James covers about 10 or 12 uh, topics or themes, and he speaks towards those in, in nearly every chapter. He speaks towards suffering well, um, endurance. He, we've been just recently finished something on um, the power of our words and this is kind of coming to like the last little section that we're going to kind of shove all this extra stuff out that uh, I'm entitling words to the family or maybe uh, the family meeting. I don't know if your families have these. You have family meetings. Growing up when we had a family meeting, it normally meant we were about to move. And we moved a lot. So every time dad and mom would say, hey, family meeting in living room, um, I think I counted. I lived in 16 houses in my first 18 years. So that's a lot of moving, a lot of moving, and about, you know, a third of those boxes we never even went through. We just moved them from one garage to the next garage, added some storage buildings along the way. <clears throat> but when we call the family meeting, that's what we expected. Now, I, we do that a little more often as a family, call family meetings, not always because we're moving. We've been in the same house now for 10 years, but... When you call a family meeting, your kids come, and I want them to be attentive, and hey, dad's about to share something with you, either something we read in God's word, it's time of a devotion, if it's a, um, you know what, hey, I'm fixing to leave, and I need these chores to be done, it's going to set the agenda of the family meeting. And this is what James, in a sense, is doing. He's gathering us all in the living room, so to speak, specifically the early church, but then definitely extended to us. 
to have um, a discussion. And you can kind of hear that language here in chapter 4 in verse 13. He says, come now. I mean, your translation says, listen up. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Pray with me, please. Father God, would you take your word? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes that we would see and understand its implications on our lives? Bring conviction of sin. Bring encouragement for those that are weary. Healing for those that are sick and struggling. Through the power of your name, Jesus, and through your mighty word spoken to us, would you change our lives so that we would mirror your glory to a watching world? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you kind of hear this family language, right? Listen up, listen here. This is about to be serious. I want you to listen. It's the coach calling a timeout, bringing all the team around. Hey, here's the play. I want you to see it. We just got a few minutes left. We got to go out and execute and prayerfully, hopefully all the, all the athletes are gathered around with their ears perked up to what coach is saying. So as we send them out that they are ready, this is James leader of the early church, the half-brother of Jesus, who has this incredible story of conversion. You can check back on our previous messages or read that for yourself. He says, listen up, those people who say today or tomorrow we're going to go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, for you do not know what tomorrow brings. Now there's two da dangers that James is warning us about. In this passage, two dangers. The one is the danger of presumption. The danger of presumption. James is not against planning. He's against planning without God. He would say in chapter 1 and verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. God has begun a good work in us so that by our changed lives that we would bring him glory. When we plan without him, we have committed one of the greatest and dangerous sins of all time. We forget God. You know, we make our plans, and then we invite him in at the 12th hour to bless it as we go out, like he's some kind of magical fairy dust that can just kind of add a little umph to whatever we had planned. But that's not the way that God works. And James is warning us against such an attitude. He's not against planning. James is not against setting goals. We all set goals. Goals are good. We try to exert ourselves and manage the circumstances around us and in our lives. This is not bad. It's actually good stewardship on some level. The Bible even tell us, tells us that making plans is good. Even Jesus said no one builds before they count the cost. Only a foolish person would do that. But James is speaking more to the attitude or the posture of our heart when we go into our plans, making our plans themselves. One of the most dangerous sins of all is to forget God. 
just to naturally do life without God. Doing life without an intentional, intellectual connection to God and his plan will leave you discouraged, depressed, inwardly focused, and ultimately without joy and peace. We were made, we were wired for the mission of God, to walk with God. He's written it on our hearts. He's made us, right, created us, Scripture says, unto good works. He's got a specific plan for you and for me. You were born when you were born and where you were born. Scripture even says God has set the parameters of your life. Like he is, you didn't necessarily choose your neighbors. God chose your neighbors for this purpose so that you would be a light among the darkness. We were made to be this mirror that reflects the image of God. As we walk with him, but many of us leave him somewhere at the fork in the road and we run ahead, start making all the decisions without him. And because of that, we miss the directions. We miss where God's leading because most times he doesn't give us this huge road map. He just shows us the next step. He shows us the next way. We want to know the full story, don't we? We say, God, show me how it's going to look like on a map. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to graduate, and I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to have these kids. Don't, don't we want to know those kind of things? But God doesn't lead that way. What does God, how does God lead? He says, hey, just come, just come follow me. Instead of a big, bright headlight, he gives us a little pen light, and he just shows us the next step and the next step. During the pandemic, we all became, uh, the shelter and home, we all became uh, bike riders. Um, the kids had bikes, and uh, Ashley's parents gave us a couple bikes, and so we got them all aired up, and it was just a thing, right? Um, we were just going to become bike riders. And every day, we would say, okay, it's time for a bike ride, and I'd get frustrated every day because, you know, get up, get out there, and we didn't really ride bikes as a family. We just rode bikes at the same time. And so I would be, I thought you said a family bike ride. You know, I can't, my kids are away. I don't know where anybody is. This is what it's like to make decisions without God. We go up ahead of him. We don't know where to turn. We turn the wrong way. We get lost. We have so much natural momentum that we can go 100 miles past where God wanted us to take a right. And this is the invitation of James and the warning of James against this sin of presumption that we just presume where we, where God might have us go instead of naturally depending on him every step of the way. But the second danger that James warns us of here and the one that I think has been produced more repentance in my own life, he warns us against the danger of certainty. The danger of certainty. Maybe it would be better explained to say I think a lot of us have an idol of certainty. And with everything changing in our world like it has. I remember telling someone last week, I just want to be able to make a decision that's going to stick. I hate having the A and the B and the C and the D plan for all these things and mask and no mask and where can we eat and not eat and what is school going to happen and how's church going to work out and all these things. I just want to make a plan. At the same time, I begin studying this passage and I got, it's not wrong to want to be able to plan. The problem is, is again, we want to go ahead of God and plan in ways that he has not asked us to do. We make an idol out of certainty, an idol out of control. That we have to be the rulers of our own destiny. And in doing so, we miss where God is leading us. So studying this, I kept thinking how God used to lead his people, the Hebrew people. You remember this as we walked through the book of Exodus. As he took them from Egypt to the promised land. 
And you remember how God led the people? He didn't say, hey guys, you know where the promised land is. Let me just give you the coordinates and you can just head right there just a couple weeks journey. No, what did God say? I want you to follow me. And my presence over the tabernacle is going to be a fire by night and a cloud by day. And when the fire moves or the cloud moves, hey, it's time to pack up camp. We got to go. God's moving and we're going to follow him. Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 9 records this. Maybe in verse 21. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out or they continued for a day and a night. When the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or longer time, when the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and didn't set out. But when, they lift, when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. And they kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Just this incredible. Now, this wasn't just like they did this for a week no, this is how they lived for decades. When God moved, they moved. How many of you are planners in here? Like you, you, you like sent your taxes back in at the original date. Like you're like planners, planners, right? Like you, can't, you couldn't wait to get, you already got the 2021 calendar. You're already accepting plans for 20, so you know, you married any of those. When, when Ashley and I started dating, Ashley's one of those planners, and she started school, and um, she, you know, she had all her, the, the syllabus out there, and she took this big calendar that she you know, kept in her kitchen, and she wrote down what chapter she had to study every day to be ready for a final at the end of the semester. I got to study chapters one, and I was like, what are you doing? Like, how crazy is this? Hey, the night before the test, you pull an all-nighter, you remember it, you go in there and ace it. Right? Well, maybe not ace it. But you at least make a C, right? That was kind of my, my way of playing. She had a, she's just one of these. Can you imagine being in this setting where you don't know, hey, mama, how long are we going to be here? Oh, we don't know, baby. We're just, we're just watching the Lord. All I can tell you is when the cloud moves, we're going to move. And when the fire moves, we're going to move. Well, what are we going to do about school? Or what are we going to do about our friends? And what little area of our Tent neighborhood, are we going to live in? Oh, baby, I, I can't answer all those questions. Here's the only thing mom and daddy know. Here's, here's what we know. When the Lord moves, we're moving. Can you imagine living your life in such a way, so dependent upon the Lord that when he moves, you move? You see how I'm saying? We've made an idol out of certainty that we want to know. We want to know, God, show us. What, what's, this, what's, this, what's, world, what's our world going to be like in August? Are we going to go back? Are we not going to go back? What, what's, listen, I, I all want... This virus to be eradicated from the earth just like you do. And I, I pray daily that that would happen. We've got many of our church families who are quarantined at home right now waiting on results of tests. I want it gone. But here's, I think that where this idol of certainty trips us up is we want to put our plans above God because we don't want to have to be dependent on him. We don't want to have to look to him. And what in the Old Testament, God led them by fire and by cloud. The New Testament, for those of you who are believers in this room, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Gospel of John says, leads you unto all truth. So where they would look to the cloud, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that says, hey, it's time to move. Hey, you see that person sitting over there? I want you to go pray for them. He brings people to your mind. Hey, this person needs to be encouraged. This person needs to be loved. 
This person needs to be prayed for. He sets up these divine appointments even in your neighborhood. Now, most of us miss it because we're not looking. Or we're so, we have no margin in our life, and so we blow past these incredible opportunities. The cloud moves, the fire moves, and we miss it. Because of this idol of certainty, I think, that plagues all of us on some level. What James is trying to get us to see is the smallness of you and the bigness of God. Is bigness a word? Preachers make up words all the time, don't they? The smallness of you and the bigness of God. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. Come you, come now you, say today or tomorrow we're going to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He compares our plans with the destiny of our lives so that we're going to feel the weight of this, the smallness of us. You say today or tomorrow, a time. Yet James reminds us that our life is just a mist here for such a little time. You say, I'm going to go to such a city, a destination. James reminds us that we're just going to be here just for a little while. You say, I'm going to engage in business and make money a purpose. And James reminds us that your life <clears throat> will soon vanish. Can you feel the weight of this? James wants us to feel the weight of this. He wants us to remember this. That you're small but not insignificant. Your significance doesn't come from what you accomplish. It doesn't come from your contribution but from your position in God's family. The greatest things that you will ever accomplish in this life will be through an extension of God's purpose through your life. Your life's a vapor, he says in verse 14. What's the point? Why does James keep hitting this? The point for James and for God is that it matters whether a true view of life shapes the way you think and how you speak about your plans. Your attitude and your mindset matters here. How you talk about your plans matter. Think about this. Believing that your life is a vapor may make no practical bottom line difference on whether you take this job or don't take this job or do business in this place or don't do business here. But in James' mind, he speaks for God, it makes a difference how you think about it and how you talk about it. Why? Because God created us not just to do things and go places and accomplish goals, but to do so in a way that reflects the truth, a true view of life and a true view of God. Extended to the watching world, the people you work with should know that there is something so radically different about you because of the way you view life, that it's precious before God, that it's limited in time, that you are steward of what God's entrusted you, and the way that you view God. That he is Lord over everything. That he is supernatural. That he's with you. Our time is short. And James reminds us, in just a little while, you're not going to be here anymore. Your life will vanish. You'll be gone and life's going to go on without you. That sounds a little morbid, but it's a great reminder to us. It matters, James says, that you keep this view in life in mind because it keeps you humble and dependent and purposeful. Then 
15, that's the smallness of us. Verse 15 goes on to talk about the proper view of God. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live. In other words, it not only matters that you have the right view of life when you make your plans because you're like a vapor, but it matters that you have the right view of God as you make your plans. And you express this true view of God by making all your plans with if. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Here's the drum he's beating. Don't forget God. Psalms 9 and Psalms 50 speak about those who forget God will be destroyed. Jeremiah 2.32, does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me on days without number. The New Living translates that verse, has the bride forgot her wedding dress? Has the bride forgotten her makeup? Can you imagine in this day and age how big a deal the perfect dress is, right? We got shows on TV about the dress. Can you imagine showing up to the wedding without the dress, without the makeup? No bride would ever do that. It's so important. This is what Scripture is warning us. The bottom line is that you remember the things that are important to you. You remember the things that are important to you. God is saying the most important thing, the way you've been wired and created, is not to move past me, not to make decisions without me, not to invite me in in the 12th hour to bless the plans that you've already made, but from the beginning, when you plan, we plan knowing that ultimately we are small, but God is big. If the Lord wills, we will live. James teaches us that the duration of our lives is in the hands of God. He governs how long we live, and ultimately he's in control of life and death itself. Colossians says that he holds everything together in the word of his power. That just by the thinking of Jesus Christ, he's holding our bodies together right now. And if he quit thinking about us just for a moment, we would just vanish into thin air. The laws of gravity, the laws of science that we operate, God holds all of it. He created it and he holds it together. James reminds us that the Lord wills that you will live. We don't know how long our vapor-like life will linger in the air, but God knows because he decides how long we will live James is saying this is the true view of life and God and it should shape our mindset and our way of thinking. Not just that when we're healthy, but even when we are sick. A friend of mine about a month ago had a stroke in his 50s, a very serious stroke. Took him to the hospital, of course, and they were running all the tests and he's still in the hospital. As a matter of fact, just last week, he was articulate enough and could move himself around enough in a walker that he takes, started taking these little you know, walks down the hallway. His wife posted on social media about this, that he stood at the front of his little door and he preached a little sermon. He's not a pastor, but preached a little sermon, thanking God 
for the suffering that he's walking through so that he would have this opportunity to share about the glory of Christ to these nurses and healthcare workers. Man, what a mindset. Can you even imagine when you walk through such suffering that you would be able to stand with such confidence, half of your face still not working right, and you'd be able to proclaim the glory of Christ and invite them to turn from their own ways and turn to God. Can you imagine that? And yet most of us live with really healthy bodies. And when's the last time that we invited anyone else to do the same, to turn and look to Jesus? If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Again, this points to the sovereignty of God and what we accomplish. Ultimately, God's in control of that. Whether we complete our goals or don't complete our goals. You may have heard this phrase before in Latin. is Deo Valente, if the Lord wills. Deo Valente. As Christians, all of our plans should be Deo Valente plans, if the Lord wills. So I'm thinking about this new job and prayerfully we're considering it and we're going to apply for it if the Lord wills. Thinking about selling a house and we've been praying about it and if the Lord wills. And I'm sick and I'm suffering and praying that God would heal. But it's ultimately if the Lord wills. Deo Valente. What's ultimately wrong with these people in verse 13 who made these plans? Well, nothing's necessarily wrong with the plans that we know of, but God knows things about their heart that we don't know. He knows they're making plans without him, which is where the family meeting, hey, everybody come in, let's have a talk. We've got a word from the Lord here. Listen up. Don't you dare make plans without God. The root of the problem goes on to tell us in verse 16 is arrogance or pride. And the expression of that arrogance, he says, comes through our boasting. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. The problem is a problem with pride. And if we can be real honest, I think many of us are guilty of this. Making plans, opening businesses, planning trips, signing our kids up for things without any thought. Is this really God's will? When's the last time one of your kids came and said, hey, dad, hey, mom, I, I want to I sign up for this at school. Immediately, oh, how much does it cost? Who's going to be a part of it? When's the last time we said, you know what, let's just pray as a family about that. Let's spend a few days praying and see what God's will might be for us to move forward in this. This is why the gospel is so beautiful. Because although that we are damaged and flawed by sin and distorted and bent towards pride and arrogance, there's remedy for our sickness. And that remedy is Jesus. Jesus died so that you could live. He was condemned so that you could be accepted so what we say all the time, the gospel saves and it sustains. I've got a few points of application just real quickly as we wrap up. All right, Luke, how do we move forward in here? I think first is this, you plan with an open hand. You make your plans in pencil with an open hand. God, this is kind of how things are set and this is <clears throat> where just life is taking us, but... But these plans are open to you. Our hands are open to you. Our plans, our resources, our very life, it's, it's in your hands. 
God, we want to do what you will. You know what's around the corner before we know what's around the corner. James warns us about planning our lives without God. There's a diff- big, big difference again between making plans and asking God to bless them compared to seeing what ha- God has in store and following him in that way. Instead of acting like we're the ones in control of all of our plans, we should be dependent upon God and ultimately subject to where he's leading. Notice also James is talking about spirituality and business in the same category. A lot of people tend to view Monday through Saturday as business life, family life, secular life, and then Sunday as spiritual life. But James is talking about them together. James saying the two are the same. The life of a believer is submitted to the lordship of Christ in all things. All of our plans, all of our attitudes, all of our words, all submitted to the lordship of Christ. Deo valente. God willing. And then second is that we would plan around the mission of God. You must realize that God is holding all things together at all points in time. He has us here for a purpose, to reflect his image to the world. We won't be here long. In the span of eternity, our lives here look like one pixel on the screen, one letter in the novel, one grain of sand falling off the sandcastle. Our lives are, are, are not but, but a mist, but a vapor. Here just a little while. But what we did with our lives can impact all of eternity. We must spend our short time on earth planning around the mission of God. God has invited you to be part of his mission. He's given you gifts. The Holy Spirit that came to live inside of you when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior brought with him supernatural gifts. He's enabled you to be part of God's mission. Jesus makes it simple. In Matthew 6.33, you know this verse, but seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. Of course, this was given in the context of worry because when we make our plans without God, we put ourselves on the throne and then we have to worry because we're not in control of everything that might happen. But when we trust God and depend on him and he's the one leading us, we don't have to worry. So Paul would invite us to cast our cares upon him, continually casting our anxieties about, uh, uh, upon him, casting our worries upon him. Every new story we read and every plan we have, friends, no, no need to be worried. God has not been taken by surprise here. He's not, he's not worried. He's not anxious about our plans about what the governor's going to say or the president's going to say. He's not worried about any of that. So we can trust. The most comforting verse I read this week is where Scripture says that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's my father. And he knows everything around the corner and all the pain that I'm walking through. And he's got an answer and a remedy in the good news of Jesus Christ. The Christian will be distinctive in our culture by saying God first and God willing. God first in my time and my money and my family and my thoughts and my affections. And second, God willing. The point of this passage is this driving force in our plans is not us and what we want to do. It's the kingdom of God and his mission before us. Now, if we're honest, most of us live me first and me willing lives. 
what I want to do, what I want to accomplish. And that's the warning from James. There's this, we don't have time to get into it. There's this really cool part in Acts 16 where Paul is starting a second missionary journey and he's trying to head in a certain direction. And it says the the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go to Asia, so he couldn't go there. And then he wanted to go, I'm going to go to this other town. I'm going to go this way to Bithynia. He couldn't go there. He ended up in this little town called Troas. And that was his third choice, actually. And he wanted to go to Ephesus. And man, the great things that could have been accomplished in the city of Ephesus. And Paul wanted to get there. And yet you remember this in Acts 16. There's a the Macedonian call. He has a vision and a dream of a man from Macedonia, which is in a different continent, saying, come here. So Paul knew that that vision was given to him by God through the Holy Spirit that he followed, was responsible to lay down his own plans and the direction that he was going to follow where the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit often guides us by closing doors Read some of the greatest missionaries. David Livingston wanted to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. And William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, and God sent him to India. Adoniram Judson went to India, and God guided him to Burma. God guides us along the way just to the right place. And this is what Paul, and the wisdom and greatness of God's plan as it's unfolding in Acts 16 when it comes to Paul. In Paul's mind, he wanted to reach a city in his region, but God wanted to give Paul a continent to win for Christ. And we are here. Largely, Christianity spread westward because of this one decision, listening to the Holy Spirit. Friends, what's the Holy Spirit leading you to do? Right now, if you've been quiet so long, not the plans and the whiteboards and the to-do list. Those are good and right in their place. What's God leading you to do? For some of you in this season, it's just to slow down, just to rest. We have lived so fast with no margin. If God did speak to us, we wouldn't hear him. And if we did hear him, we wouldn't have time or money to obey him. We live so fast. If anything, I hope this season has let you back up just a little bit. Say, man, I need some margin in my life. I need the stillness in my own soul so I can listen to the Holy Spirit whisper to me. Hey, Paul, I don't, want, I don't need you to go to Ephesus. You'll get there. Right now, I need you to go this direction. It was the last time that we altered our plans because the Holy Spirit spoke. I pray, church, that we would be a church dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. God, you know our hearts. Every one of us in this room, some of us in this room aren't even part of your family. We're not, we may have played religious games for a long time, but we have not heard you speak. I pray, Holy Spirit, even now that you would draw these people unto Christ. That they would turn from their own way. As my friend John Ambra announced to the hospital, turn from your own way and turn to Christ. Or maybe we have some people that make that decision today to step over this 
line of faith, the crossover from death into life. Or to others of us, we've been making our plans for a long time and trying to ask you to sprinkle some fairy dust on them, but that's not where you were leading us. And we got to step back and pray as a couple, as a family. God, what would you have us do? Or which neighbor around us needs our prayers right now? Needs an encouraging word, needs a visit at the doorstep. Needs a card of encouragement. Who's struggling to such depth that they just need to be a reminder that God sees and he's in control. Lord, you speak to our hearts. Lord, we need you. Our nation is so divided and so broken. It's time for the church to be the church. To not get caught up in these little squabbles over religious arguments, mask arguments, and political arguments. But with our lives, we would point people to Jesus. Or do the work that you would have in us. As we sing in just a minute together, Lord, I pray that our praises come from the depth of our heart with gratitude of what you've done in and through us and what you're going to do around the corner. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. Phil's going to play just a minute, and then he's going to ask us to sing together. Listen as the Spirit speaks.